First Timothy chapter five tonight. Last time we saw the first two qualifications for the church to care for genuine widows. Paul makes a distinction between widows and those who are widows indeed. Not that the others hadn't lost their husbands, but um, the ones that the church have a responsibility to care for. And those two qualifications were, first, she must be genuinely poor. She cannot have family that can care for her. And then secondly, she must be genuinely godly that she must be relying on God through prayer, that night and day she's offering her petitions and supplications to the Lord. And in our passage tonight, we also have two qualifications that in some way relate to those first two that we saw. The first one is identical, that she must be godly. We'll see that um, in verses 5 and 6. We saw that in verses 5 and 6, so we'll see that in verses uh, 9 and 10 tonight. And then the second is that she must be 60 or over, which kind of corresponds with the fact that she must be genuinely poor. Again, we need to keep in mind the context of what's going on there. Uh, a lady that was older was more less likely to be, be remarried and therefore have some kind of ability to care for herself or have someone care for her. And if she didn't have family, that kind of contributed to it. So really there are three main qualifications, two of them kind of work together. One is she must be godly. Two is she must not have family to care for her. And three, she must be 60 or over. So let's take a look at this text tonight and uh, see how we can apply it to ourselves and our church. Beginning in verse number nine, this is the word of God. A widow is to be put on the list only if She is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge, At the same time, they also learn to be idle. They go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them and the church must not be burdened so that may assist those who are widows indeed so here the Holy Spirit wants us to see I think that the church must care for widowed church members who are genuinely in need a similar um, theme from the last text that we looked at these two texts go together verses 1 through 8 and verses 9 through 16 we saw last time that a widow indeed someone who's put on the widow list at the church at the church should be genuinely poor, verses 3 through 4 and 7 through 8, and then also she must be godly. And then we'll add this third one and then review that, that godly one as well. So beginning in verse 9, Paul 
is continuing his teaching on how to care for widows indeed. And some argue that this text that we're looking at tonight is referring to a new category of widows. So there are genuine widows in verses 1 through 8. And then there's this new category of widows, what they would call serving widows. So a, a widow could get onto that list if, obviously, she was a widow and she was willing to serve the church in some way. So it's kind of like a compensation type thing. She would give herself to the church. The church would provide for her needs. And there may be some merit to that sort of thinking, but I, but I would suggest to you that there are three reasons why verses 3 through 16 are all referring to the same category of widows, all referring to widows indeed. First, in the grammatical context, we know that it's not a brand new list from verses 3 through 8 or just a separate category of widows because verses 3 through 16 are tied together with one key term, two-word term. And it's widows indeed. Notice verse 3. Honor widows who are widows indeed. Verse 5. Now, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope. And then notice that this, this phrase, this term for her is repeated in verse 16. If any woman has a believer, or who is a believer, has dependent widows, she must assist, assist them so that the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So I would suggest to you that between verses 3 through 16, you have Paul describing what is required of a widow indeed. This is not a separate category of widows who just serve the church. This is, a cat- this is all referring to the same person. The second reason I think that this is the same person as Paul was talking about in verses 3 through 8 is because of the structural contact- context. In verse 9, it's most naturally read as a continuation, not a beginning of a new, uh, of a new idea or a new group of ladies. Verse 9, a widow is to be put on the list only if she is not... So he's not starting a new group and saying, okay, now these... Let me talk to you about something else because now there's another set of widows that we're gonna, going to call serving widows that have to be 60 or over. It seems like he's continuing there. And then thirdly, third reason I think that this is the same category as we saw in verses 3 through 8 is because of the historical context. In the first century, the life expectancy... Um, not including infant mortality, and that's always the difficulty of trying to determine life expectancies in different countries. I don't know if you've ever read anything about that, but, but some countries do it differently, and so it, it changes the numbers. But, but not including infant mortality, which was really high in the first century in the Roman culture, um, life expectancy was 55 years old. And it's said that if a woman made it to the age of 60, then she would likely live to the age of 70. Um, so, so, yes, there were many who died in, in war and many who died and in, in ladies died in childbirth. Um, but there are also many ladies who made it to much older. They made it to 70 years old. That was not unusual. So if a woman lost her husband at the age of 60 and had 10 years or more to live, that probably wouldn't be the best time for her to take on new ministries. Maybe it might be the equivalent of of a lady um, in our day whose husband died when she was, let's say, in her 70s or 80s. Is that the time for her to take on new ministries at the church? Right? It doesn't seem like that's the purpose of why Paul is setting up this category. In fact, I don't think he's setting up a new category. I think he's continuing what he has been talking about in verses 3 through 8, saying, listen, the church has a responsibility to care for these ladies. He does add a qualification that seems to go along with 
uh, the one that we looked at last week, which is that she must be genuinely poor, and that is that she must be 60 or over. Because if her husband had died and didn't leave her anything, again, there's no Social Security, there's no survivor benefit, um, there's no pensions. So, um, so she would be destitute. I mean, she doesn't have a way to, to start a new job. You know, there's no, um, you know, do a job at home for 10 hours a week and make $100,000. They don't have anything like that back then. So there is an age requirement that Paul says, and he says that, that she must not be less than 60 years old. Now, we might look at this and say, well, does that mean that Paul is giving us a hard and fast rule that we must make the list, the cutoff at 60? So that if we have someone who loses her husband, that, you know what, I'm sorry, you just didn't make it. No, I don't think that that means we can't help anybody that's under 60. I don't think it means that we actually absolutely have to do 60. It's probably a good good place to start. But But this list, I think, was just a way to keep track of the older widows who would need ongoing support. And when the younger widows had needs, certainly the church was was going to was going to look at them. But the point is, is that a lady could not get onto the list of widows indeed if she was not 60 years old. Why, why is this so important? Why is it so important that younger widows be excluded from the list? Well, Paul tells us in verses 11 through 15, he gives us three answers as to why younger widows cannot be included on the list. First, Younger widows must be excluded from the list of genuine widows. And younger widows here is referring to 59 and under. Younger widows must be excluded from the list of genuine widows because it is hard, hard to maintain a vow of singleness. Verses 11 through 12. It is hard to maintain a vow of singleness. The original practice seems to be that the church would care for all the widows no matter the age. So from the beginning of the establishment of the church, anyone, if anyone was a widow, the church would care for her. But over time, Paul apparently discovered that younger widows still had desires. And so what they would do is these widows would make a vow that they would never remarry. And as, as, as a way to give themselves in service to the church, they would make this vow. And then Paul realized that what was happening is that these ladies were unable to keep the vow. And they would have these desires and, and want to get married. Nothing wrong with the, the having desire to get remarried. The problem was they had made the vow. Look at verse 11. It says, But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married. And if we just read that verse, it sounds like marriage is a bad thing and having sensual desires is a bad thing. That is, um, but, but the reason these sensual desires are bad is because that they had made the vow. There's nothing inherently wrong with a widow wanting to get remarried. How do we know that? Because of verse 14, right? What does he say in verse 14? Therefore, I want younger widows to get married. So there seems to be a difference here. I, I don't have any problem with younger widows getting married. In fact, do it. But what I don't want you to do is to make a vow and then get remarried. That's where the, the, the sensual desires come in. That you have this desire to turn away from your vow and, and get married. And so what Paul's saying is, listen, if you have a previous pledge, verse 12, you're going to incur a condemnation. You made this vow of singleness and, and you're bringing condemnation upon yourself because you're breaking a vow that you had made with God. And so, 
it's better not even to put these ladies on the list and expect in return some kind of vow of singleness because it's hard to maintain a vow of singleness, particularly for younger women, younger widows. Second reason that younger widows must be excluded from the list of genuine widows is because it's um, because younger widows who are fully supported are susceptible to idle godlessness. Younger widows who are fully supported. Now, why do I say fully supported? Well, if she makes this vow of singleness, she's under 60 years old, she goes onto this list, the church now starts caring for her, what's she going to do with her life? Right? An older woman, woman presumably would be caring for herself, and helping in the, with the needs of the church, but a younger win, widow has a susceptibility to to become an idle, godless person. That's what verse 13 says. At the same time, they also learn to be idle, and they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. So another problem with supporting younger widows is, is that they are susceptible to turning into busybodies and gossips. They spend all their time sitting around and, and talking idly. They're in perfect health. They're not in a, they're not have, they don't have a desire to apparently serve the church or to use their efforts for anything else other than to just get into other people's business and, and to talk about it. The third reason that younger widows should be excluded from the list of genuine widows is because younger widows who are fully supported are susceptible to turning away from the faith they are susceptible to turning away from the faith. Verse 14 says, Therefore I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, give the enemy no occasion for reproach, for some have already turned away to follow Satan. They are susceptible to bringing reproach upon themselves. Follow after Satan. And as members of the church, they bring reproach on the name of the church. And since this church, say the church here at Ephesus, but, but our church as well, is a representative of Christ, then, then by extension, that church brings reproach on Christ. And they give the enemy an opportunity to bring charges of vanity and fraud against them. Probably not referring um, to Satan primarily, but maybe some outsider who's looking to, to bring charges against the church. You know, what a waste to follow Christ. And here's a good example. Look at this young woman who's just lost her husband and now they're paying her to be an idle gossip and and um, she could have been starting a new family and managing the house well. They're susceptible to turning away from God. And so Paul's solution is, first, not to include them on the list, and then second, verse 14, to start a new family. If you're young and, and you're able, then, then get married. Instead of putting them on the list and giving them an opportunity to break this pledge of single, singleness or to become busybodies, it's better to get married, have children, manage their house. So, the first requirement in our text tonight for a widow to make it on the list of genuine widows is that she must be 60 or over. The second is that she must be godly. If a woman is to be put on the list of genuine widows, she must be godly. Again, this is a... Um, we saw this last week in verses 5 and 6. We saw the expression of her godliness in... The fact that her hope was fixed on God. That's how the text read. And that, 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 that hope was seen in its continual reliance on God through prayer night and day. And here we have a number of other expressions for her godliness. First, 
in verse 9, she is a one-man kind of woman. She is a one-man kind of woman. Notice, um, widow, widow is not it. Excuse me, widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old. And then here is the godliness qualification: having been the wife of one man. This phrase is very similar to the phrase in chapter 3, verse 2, to describe the qualification for a pastor. That he must be the, the, the husband of one wife. And the idea there is that he must be a one-woman kind of man. Not that he could only have been married to one person ever, but rather that he is solely committed to his wife. And he's not looking somewhere else. And he's the husband of one wife. And I think the same thing is true for her, that she needs to have a similar qualification, that she needs to be a one-man kind of woman. She is devoted to her husband faithfully. This is an expression of her godliness. Obviously, her husband's now dead, but that had to have been the case while he was alive. The second uh, expression of her godliness in our text is found at the beginning of verse 10. Having a reputation for good works. Her godliness is not only expressed in her commitment to her husband, but also in how she lives that she is known when people think of her and see her, she's known for her good works, not for these other things that are mentioned of the younger widows, right? Gossiping and idleness and busybody and turning away from the faith. She's known for, for her good works. Thirdly, in the second part of or the middle of verse 10, we see that her godliness is expressed in her faithfulness in, her, in parenting, that she is a successful Christian mother it says, having a reputation of good works and if she has brought up children. That is, if she has brought up children, then she is, she is uh, bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's not that she just brought up children, that's some kind of badge of honor, but rather that she's, she's bringing them up as they ought to be and helping others to do the same. She's a, she's a one-man kind of woman. She's, she has a reputation for good works. She's a successful mother. Fourthly, she is hospitable. It says there in the middle of verse 10, she has shown hospitality to strangers. Her godliness is expressed in her caring for strangers. And Christians would travel, or anyone for that matter, in the ancient Near East, they would depend on the help of hospitality or hospitable people to give them a place to stay and a meal to eat. And this woman cannot just start like once her husband dies, but something that she's known for. She's known for having been hospitable. And then uh, the next line in, in verse 10 says that she is a servant. That she's, she washes feet. She, if she has washed the saints' feet. So her godliness was expressed in her humble service. This is the kind of task that was left for the most menial servants. And yet she is humble enough to, to be willing to do the, the lowest of tasks. She's willing to perform that kind of task in service to others like Jesus did to his disciples. Sixth, she is compassionate. She is compassionate if she has assisted those in distress. That is that she cares for those who are in a, in a, in a place of, of danger or trouble. That's how her godliness is expressed and her compassion for those in that lot of life. And then finally, this godliness is expressed in her devotion to good works. Kind of a restatement of the previous one, the one we saw at the beginning, but 
at the end of verse 10 it says, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So in other words, all these if statements are saying these have to be part of the case. Obviously, it, uh, the one about her having children, um, obviously a barren woman could still be included, but, but the point is if she brought up children that they would be brought up properly. But this final one is that her godliness is expressed in this kind of summary catch-all statement for godliness that she is devoted to good works. So a widow is a genuine widow, or as the text calls it, a widow, a widow indeed, only if she's 60 or older, she's genuinely poor, like we saw last week, she has no family to care for her, and if she has a reputation for godliness. Now in verse 16, Paul returns his focus to the church members who have widowed family members. And he's kind of bounced back and forth. We kind of think, well, all of verse 3 through 16 is all about widows and their responsibility. But really, he's kind of bouncing back and forth between the church's responsibility, the widow's responsibility, individuals who have family members who are widows, their responsibility, back to the widows, and now back to the family. And that's what he's doing here in verse 16. And so here we see the requirement for lady church members, the requirement for for lady church members. And first we have a command in verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them. She must assist them. So Paul has already made this point that if you man or woman, you have a family member who is widowed, then you must assist them. Look at verse 4, just to remind us. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents. This is acceptable in the sight of God. So, he's in verse 4, he's stating it more indirectly because he's focusing there on the widow and he's saying, widows, if they're being cared for, then there's no need for the church to come in and, and, and do what the family ought to be doing. So you family, make sure that you're caring for them. Now he's saying it explicitly. Listen, if any woman who is a believer in this church has a family member who is widowed, then you must care for them. You must assist them. So to put it plainly, if your mom or grandma has lost her husband... You ought to step up and provide for their needs. And the reason I say mom or grandma is because of verse 4. right? That the widow is supposed to be cared for by her children or grandchildren. Obviously there's lots of application that we can draw from that. Maybe there's an aunt who doesn't have any children and she's widowed. Maybe we need to consider that as well. You know, And I'm the only cousin that's a believer. Maybe I need to consider that. Or you know, at least talk to my other cousins who... Who, who have the same aunt who doesn't have any children. So there are other implications there, but, but very clearly I think the text is requiring of us that we must care for our widowed mom or grandma. Why? Why is Paul so adamant about ladies in the church caring for their widowed mother or grandmother? Well, what does the text say? Look at verse 16. Paul gives a reason. She must assist them, and the church must not be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. So why? Why is it so important for a female church member, a female Christian, to, to make or take pains to care for her widowed mom or grandma? 
And the reason is so that the church is freed up to care to care for widows with genuine need. It frees up the church to do what it is required to do. So let me put it to, the, to you this way. If you fail to care for your widowed mother or grandmother, then you unnecessarily burden the church to care for them. In other words, you handcuff the church from being able to properly care for the widows who are genuinely in need. Remember the warning in verse 8 that applies here? And if you fail to care for your own family, you have what? You have denied the faith, and you're worse than an unbeliever. You're worse than the pagans, because even the pagans care for their own widowed family members. They don't have to be told or forced. And so it applies here as well. So let me state it positively. Okay, because we state it negatively, like, man, I'm kind of forced into caring for my widowed family member. But let me state it positively. When you take care of yourself and your family who is in need, then you free up the church to help those who are in genuine need. So there are two clear benefits for you helping your family member who is in need. One, you help the widow who's in a time of distress. What's she doing night and day? Right? She's crying out to God, please help me. She's like Naomi. Call me bitterness because my life's come to an end. And you're there to be the hands of God for her. So one, you help her. Second, you help the church. You help the church be able to do their responsibility of caring for those who have no family. The church should only help those who do not have family that can care for them. So let me make some very specific application for us tonight. First, ladies, pursue godliness now. Pursue godliness now. If you are married or not married, and you have no children to care for you, no retirement money, one of the ways that you prepare yourself for future care even if you can't save enough for yourself to care for, your, you, to care for yourself when you are in a position where you lose your husband is by pursuing godliness now. You need to have a reputation for good works. Right? The time for the person to get on the list of widows was not after her husband died. Like, oh yeah, I need to, okay, I need to start working on good works and uh, washing feet and caring for strangers and oh yeah, being a one-man you know, one kind of woman. That wasn't the time to do it. It was, while, it was back while he was alive, right? So I would suggest to you, think about that now. I don't think of this as a way to, okay, I'm, this is kind of my windfall. I'm going to get myself set financially by, by pursuing godliness. In fact, all ladies should be pursuing godliness, whether married or not. But, but God's ordained means of caring for you, particularly those of you ladies who are married, God's ordained means of caring for you in your time of distress is, is coupled with the expectation that you are committed to Him. God cares for godly widows. And, and He cares so much that He set up two primary means to, to be able to care for you when you're in that position. He's set up your family, if you have one, younger generation to come, come along and help you in that time. And then he set up the church 
as well if you don't have that. So pursue godliness now. Learn from the example of others. See others in our church who are serving God well, who are known for their good works. The people that you think about and think, wow, how do they do that? How do they use their time to, to give towards the church and towards people in need now? How, do they, how are they a constant source of encouragement, not a gossip, not an idle busybody? Follow their example and, and recognize that one of God's ways of providing for you in your time of need is contingent upon you being godly now. For everyone else, I would suggest to you that you need to prepare now to care for your family so that when someone in your family is in need, that you're ready. Now, maybe you're already in that position where you have a widowed family member that you have to care for. So the application for you would be to start caring for that family member if you haven't already. Because if you're there, or if there comes a day when your dad dies and your mom is left to care for herself, then you may not be ready to care for your mom. And that means you need to be ready to care for her in a number of ways, but it seems like the focus here is financially. You know, maybe dad neglected to save money, or maybe dad did everything that he could to care for the family while he was alive, but, but now that he's dead, there's nothing left. Maybe mom only has a small income from the government and a few bucks in savings. And so I would encourage you that, that you should start thinking now about what you can do to use your energy and saving power to be able to care for your mother or your grandmother when she is in distress. So let me ask you a question. How many of you have a mother right now who is a living widow, a mother or a grandmother? Who's a living widow? Okay, so a couple. For those of you who raised your hand, can I ask, what are you doing right now to help for your widowed family member? Have you asked the question, Mom, Grandma, what kind of needs do you have? By the way, I also have a grandmother who's widowed. Have you, have you talked with your siblings about what you can do to help? I love the examples that we have in our church of, of how to care for widows. Most recently, Mike and Louise have lost their moms. Prior to that, they were carrying the lion's share of the responsibility in comparison to their siblings, and, and I think we can learn from their example. And Stacy lost her dad not too long ago and is carrying the lion's share of responsibility and caring for her mom as well. Some of you have to go through the same experience. And some of you have had to do that. How about raise your hand now if, if your mother or grandmother uh, are now dead, but they were widowed at one time. Anybody have a mother or grandmother who were widowed at one time? Okay. So our responsibility is to, to, to set ourselves up into a position. I mean, this is a tall task. Maybe we need to be including our siblings in, in this kind of conversation, but I think it's a biblical one that we ought to be having. What can I do to provide for mom when she gets to a place, if God so allows, when she gets to a place where she is in genuine need? 
You know, the, the mindset of the world is to save all your money, I mean, to spend it or, or to save it. But when you save it, you save it for yourself. And you save it to, to leave it to your children. You're not really thinking of the previous generations like, well, you know, they can take care of themselves. But I think we have a biblical obligation to, to care for our family when they are in need. So, so can I encourage you this week to talk to your siblings or spouse about what you will do to care for your mom or grandma when they come to a place that they're not already there? Because here's what James says. Pure and undefiled religion is this. To care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep yourself unspotted by the world. Chapter 1, verse 27. You see, our care and concern, our compassion for those who are in genuine need is an expression of, of our faith, isn't it? Our faith is at stake here. Because verse 8 says, if you don't provide for your own, you're worse than an unbeliever. It's not only our faith that's at stake, it's our church's reputation at stake. Right? We bring reproach on the name of Christ when we leave our widowed parent out in the cold, so to speak, and the watching world's like, what kind of religion is that? Who does that? I mean, even I would take care of my own widowed mother, an unbeliever is saying, right? And these people, they go to church and they don't do it. This church is a representation of Christ, and so it's, it's a mark on the name of Christ when we bring reproach upon when we bring reproach upon him in acting this way. So when we do this, we help the person that's in need, and then secondly, we help the church to be freed up, to be able to help the genuine widows, that is, the widows who are in a position of need because they have no children to care for them. They, they are um, in a place of genuine distress. And that frees the church up to be able to do that. And so you help, you help both the widow and the church in fulfilling your responsibility in obeying Christ. Let's think about this as um, we go this week and try to reflect on what God expects of us and, um, and ask God to help us as we we seek to obey this text. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the examples of godliness that um, I think of Mrs. Wittenberg, um, even when she was widowed and then getting later on into life and having to be cared for. And... Um, Thankful for Sandra's mom as well, and and for Stacy's mom, and uh, thankful that they are worthy of of uh, your care, and that they are still fixing their eyes on you. We pray that you'd continue to to care for their needs through Sandra and Stacy and their siblings. We pray that each of us would put ourselves in a position where we're ready to to care for our parents our widowed mothers when they come to a position of need. Or we don't know when that will happen or if it will happen, but, but if it does, we want to be we want to be used by you. And we pray that you would strengthen us for this task. We pray that as a church we would 
have our eyes open to the, the widows that we have in our church and that we would be ready to care for them. Think of Mary and Karen, both lost their husbands. And we ask that you would just help them to have their eyes fixed on you. Help us as a church to know how we can care for their needs and to come alongside of them. Help them on towards godliness and, and learn from them and, and encourage them in, in the truth. And we pray that, um, that each of us would be willing to do the hard thing. In our culture, we are told to look out for number one, look out for ourselves. And uh, the, the, the common mentality is that children are supposed to provide for parents, and so we just leave it alone when, when they're in a position of need. But, but, Lord, we have a clear obligation, I think, from this text, from your Holy Spirit, to, to at the very least care for these godly mothers of ours who have lost their husbands. And so we pray that you would help us to know exactly how to apply this in our lives and to see this as a joy of a responsibility to to come and, and to care for for those who who are alone and, and who um, have financial needs and other other kinds as well. We thank you for the truth of your word and how it continually molds us and shapes us. We pray that you would continue to use this passage even this week as we think about it to change us and to um, help us to think more more um, honestly about ourselves and our situation and prepare ourselves for a day when this may happen. We pray for your help in this in Jesus' name. Amen.